Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined in our Zoom room here by Tom Burnett, who is the commissioner of the Southland Conference, but his NCAA job is as the chair of the Men's Basketball Committee for 2022. Nina King, congratulations again. You've been a frequent guest here, but now the new athletic director at Duke University and also the Women's Basketball chair for 2022 and Felicia Martin. She is the interim senior vice president for inclusion, education and community engagement at the NCAA. So number of topics to discuss with basketball tournaments and gender equity and inclusion. Uh, let's first deal with the news this week. March Madness will be used universally for all championships with basketball, uh, men and women. Uh, Nina, I want to start with you. This was certainly uh, an issue last year uh, where this came out of issues that arose from the 2021 Women's Basketball Tournament. Uh, let's first deal with how this came about and, and what it means. I'll start with you, Nina. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Great to be with you again um, and with Felicia and Tom as well. Um, you know, we're really excited about March Madness and, and the use of the mark for both men's and women's basketball. As you mentioned, it did come out of um, last year's tournament, uh, last year's championship, um, and the gender equity review that, that Kaplan Hecker conducted for the NCA and for the membership. Um, it was one of the recommendations, and it's one was um, kind of low-hanging fruit for us to be able to say yes right away let's do it while we are working through a number of other of the other recommendations um, March Madness we quickly started talking about that after the after the report came out um, and just really excited today to be able to say we are using March Madness for both men's and women's basketball. Tom? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Nina here, Andy. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, while I'm the chair of the men's committee, I, I've also been a conference commissioner for a number of years and have a lot of in, invested in women's basketball. And to be able to utilize this powerful brand is certainly very special for really everyone across Division One. And, and I'm really excited about the women's tournament and being able to do that. I, I just think it's going to be a win-win for everyone. And I know the men's committee is very supportive of this. Uh, Felicia, what does it mean to hear that it's just going to be universally used? I think it's um, some of what is the better part of having to go through the thorough review that we did. There were so many options for us to look at and explore as far as accomplishing um, some of the recommendations. It's just really exciting for our student athletes, for the fans. Um, we're loving it. We love the positive forward progress that the recommendations are going So, um, you know, there are a lot of details that we don't have to get to in this form because things are being still uh, to be determined. But in terms of some basics, um, what will the branding look like, Nina? And then Tom, if you can jump in just in a basic level uh, for the tournaments in 2022. Sure. So um, the, the mark itself um, is very similar to what we have seen already um, with March Madness and then the, the bracket. Um, there are um, some color differences. We're adding a, a, a hint of orange um, to the logo uh, to reflect one of the primary colors that the NCAA uses. And also, I like to think it's a homage to being a basketball uh, color. Um, you know, I think you know, while we are working through the details of how and where it will be used, an easy one to 
say is, is likely it will be on the regional site courts. Those are neutral sites for us in women's basketball. And so we'll put March Madness, that, that mark um, on the courts, likely. Um, you know, uh, first and second rounds are held on campus sites. Um, and then final four, obviously we moved to the final four logo and utilizing those marks. But, it, you know, probably easy to say at this point that we'll see it come regional rounds on the courts for women's basketball. Uh, Tom, um, to see, uh, regardless of network, when uh, you turn on a game and see similar branding, what will that do for a basketball fan to just see, hey, this is a college basketball tournament? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it just says this is March Madness. And again, we've talked about the power of the brand and for our, our women's teams, our women's tournament to be able to utilize that in a consistent manner. Understanding there might be some color variations, but I think that's a very powerful way to go for uh, the women's game. And uh, everyone's going to recognize it, like you say, and, and that, that can only be a good thing for uh, all the March Madness we're going to have. You know, Felicia, um, it feels like there's a broader issue here, too, in that, um, you know, and we actually saw that Lady Bears, I mean, things like that are going away. Uh, I, for one, don't understand why we had to do that. You know, bears are bears, um, you know, <laughs> uh, that they were determined that down at Baylor. But how much are we moving toward just universal nicknames and, and just keeping things consistent rather than having to designate this is women's, this is men's. I mean, clearly we can see one is men's basketball, one is women's basketball. We don't have to have it screaming in front of us the word women's or ladies. You know, uh, that's a very interesting point. And I will say is we did get to the point we are with that designation because there's a history there when it comes to gender equity. Unfortunately, through higher ed, through education, there had to be um, specifics carved out so that women could compete, so that women could be educated, so women could have the same opportunities as our male counterparts. So although, um, to your point, um, we're at a time where definitely um, our society is moving us in a direction, but we also have to consider that um, bears or um, lions or there is some history connected there. And I think the more important thing is to allow our students, our fans and our administrators to help us in making those decisions. Um, you're right, the game is the game. And fortunately for us, it's high energy. Our fans love it, it's, it's that team it's the the I, I just it's electric so as long as students are getting those opportunities to play and compete at the highest level um i will lean into calling the mascot whatever they tell me to um nina at the student athlete level uh you know and you said this was sort of low-hanging fruit it was an easy fix if you will uh but what do you think it means uh to those uh women's basketball players that now know that they're going to have just the same branding that has been so dominant, obviously, with the men's game, that when you play in March Madness, you're playing in March Madness, not something that is sort of given a little bit of a tweak of a different name. Absolutely. I think it means the world to them. Um, you know, it means a lot to them that we've embarked on this process um, of, of in looking to where we can make a more equitable experience. Um, and I, you know, it's March Madness, like I said, easy. It's gender neutral. And so why were we distinguishing um, between the men's and women's championships? So student athletes are excited about this um, and looking forward to us continuing the work, like I said, to make the championship more equitable. All right. So I want to shift to another topic, uh, which certainly was part of that report. 
uh, that's a little bit more uh, not as easy to just sort of, you know, any kind of quick fix. And I think certainly needs much more uh, research and discussion. And that is at some point potentially to look at one Final Four site. Now, there's a lot of logistical issues if that were to come to pass. But most importantly, there are contracts out. Both you as an athletic director, you as a commissioner, you know you have to honor contracts. And both the men's and women's Final Fours are committed through 2026. And in fact, in Dallas in two years, the women's game, like the men have done before, is expecting to have divisions one, two, and three all in one site. Uh, so these are planned and they're expected to be carried out because of course, contractual agreements. So if you can take me behind the scenes of committees, which was unanimous to not do this at least before 2027, if it happens then, but at least before that, Tom and then Nina, um, just the thought process of honoring the contracts as they stand. Yeah, Andy, I would say initially that, um, you know, what's been great is we've been able to gather uh, both committees together and Nina and I have been part of separate calls as well, talking through this, but it's been great to have a couple of joint committee meetings. And you're right, this was uh, the, the big ticket item uh, for both committees to, to look through. And you're absolutely right. We've got contractual obligations through the current cycle through 26. You've mentioned the interesting uh, part of the Dallas uh, opportunity for the women in 23. But then there are also, uh, you know, fantastic traditional women's final four sites coming up in the cycle. And I don't believe, at least, and I'll only speak for the men's committee here, we just didn't feel right about taking away someone's contracted opportunity to put on a great show as they've done many times before and will again. And that perhaps uh, looking ahead to the next final four cycle, which we're in the process of that now, is something that, uh, you know, I think uh, will allow us a lot of runway to plan effectively, do all of the great things we need to do as we continue to explore it and uh, not making any promises in the future. But uh, I think we're all very interested in this concept and perhaps seeing it through. Yeah, I mean, I would just add to that, you know, we need some time to kind of explore the topic, but understand what is the goal around potentially holding a joint championship um, to, to figure out, is this something that the committees endorse that the membership ultimately wants to do? Um, and so again, just wanting to honor contracts, the cities that have bid and been awarded the final four through 2026 have put so much time into not just the bid process, but as soon as they're awarded a final four, the planning begins. Um, and there's so much time and resource that has already been spent for all of the cities through 26 um, into holding the championship. And so we just really wanted to honor those cities and their commitment to the process um, and begin, like I said, to explore um, and really understand if this is an ultimate goal to hold a joint championship first and foremost, and then where, um, if, if that does become a reality. See, that's, that's a great point, Nina. And Felicia, I want to bring you in on this is that, you know, just because that's the easy thing to do, and we all think that's the easy, equitable thing to do, it may not always make sense for both parties. Uh, not every sport does this that plays at the same time that has men's and women's. I mean, soccer has done it sometimes, but not every season. I mean, how do you view things that, uh, you know, on the surface would seem equitable but at the same time may not be for both parties to have something in the same site. Andy, I think this is a great example of just what you've explained that a recommendation on face value looks as if it should be easy enough. But just as Andy and Nina have 
um, excuse me, Tom and Nina have already highlighted, there are other factors, other concepts that we have to consider from all sides. The timing of the decision is gonna be important for those commitments we already have. Uh, determining the best way forward, whatever the final decision is, I wanna underscore that it does have to ensure an equitable experience for all our student athletes. Is there a city that can accommodate hotel quality for all student athletes and our teams? Um, does Is there a city that does have enough competition venues and locations that can accommodate and provide for great fan experience. And so I, this is again, a good example of one of the recommendations where having the opportunity to have thorough exploration, to talk to our membership, um, to investigate all the sides is critically important. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we certainly could have a scenario where we have eight different schools uh, and to accommodate eight different fan bases certainly could be difficult. Not every city could do that. Uh, those are just the facts. Um, you know, maybe you get lucky one year and it's the four same schools. It almost never happens, obviously. Um, I want to move to a different topic here uh, that came out of uh, this news this past week, and that was the zero-based budgeting for both championships. Tom and then Nina, what does that mean? Well, it, it's a pretty healthy process. Uh, you know, I, I'm no accounting major, but uh, certainly when you're, you know, you can get into a practice of just, you know, budgeting year after year in the same manner and perhaps not being very thoughtful about it. You maybe increase it incrementally over time, maybe reduce some areas, that type thing. And then all of a sudden you have a budget. I think it's a really smart process to go through and, you know, almost tear it down and rebuild it from, from square one and, and really, you know, figure out exactly what's important uh, for both championships, uh, maybe one championship or the other. So, you know, it's just a very healthy accounting practice, I think. And it's probably something that uh, maybe a lot more people in athletics should look at, but uh, I, I look forward to that and, and really being able to, for both tournaments to justify and, and, and lay out why they need certain budgetary items, uh, you know, for their events. And I think we're going to find a lot of commonality in that. Nina? Absolutely. Well, I was an accounting major, but um, since I didn't just graduate college, I'm not relying on my, my accounting background. But it, like Tom said, it, starting from scratch, starting at zero each year really presents an exciting opportunity to build a budget, to build in um, you know, the, the wants and needs um, starting from scratch. And, and it just, again, helps ensure that ultimate goal, the equitable experience between championships. So kind of got away from us, I think, a little bit. Um, over time. Um, and so it's, it, this is a, a great new fresh start to start at zero this year. You know, one, one thing, uh, and, and Felicia, I'm going to bring you in on, on the sort of the broader topic here in a moment, but I just want to go back in one sense, and this is not making excuses for those watching, but I do want Nina and Tom just for a second here, uh, just to look back at last year, which we know was incredibly difficult. And I don't want to rehash what happened in the championships, but just overall the planning, because both of you were involved in that. No one knew what was going to happen from one day to the next. Uh, if you could just, you know, look at what both championship committees had to go through. Just if you could just enlighten us of what that was like back a year ago at this time, not knowing when the season would start, if it would start on time, when the championships would be, would they be where they were supposed to be? what that stress was like of trying to plan something like this in a pandemic. Nina, then Tom. Handy. Do we have to? <laughs> no, I, no, I just want to say that the people have to understand this was incredibly stressful 
at this level. It was, it was, and, and happy to talk about it. I, I kid because it was just so much last year. Um, and, and as uh, you had mentioned earlier, we do have kind of day jobs, we joke, um, on campuses and in conference offices. And so we're trying to strike the balance between um, our, our professional jobs, also personal. I mean, it, it was a lot. There was a lot that went into it last year. Um, but ultimate goal was to provide the very best student athlete experience possible. And, and while we certainly had our challenges last year, it was so exciting to be able to, to actually crown a national championship after what was a very odd season. Um, you know, early on, we realized we couldn't just rely on our maybe quarterly meetings. We were having weekly meetings, monthly meetings to talk about details of, of the, the championship that we had never discussed before. I mean, bringing the committees down into the weeds to really um, figure out how to do something nobody had ever done before. I mean, the questions around how to pull this off were, were numerous. Um, but, you know, I mean, everybody grinded really hard um, and, and really pushed forward. And then, oh, by the way, I mean, we had to watch a lot of basketball and figure out how to select teams in a time where folks weren't playing non-conference schedules, um, very limited conference, very just kind of odd, um, unprecedented uh, basketball well, seasons. And Nina, you had to deal with, you mentioned your, your day job, uh, and I know Kevin White was still there, but at the same time, your own school opted out for health and safety reasons of the tournament you're helping to plan. Yes. So navigating that reality was just Insane. There was a lot, um, but you know we made it, and and I'm really proud of um, everybody that worked so hard. Um, not. Just but the NCAA staff, our colleagues at the NCAA office are just absolutely amazing. Um, and so, so to, to hunker down with them for 29 days in San Antonio and, and end up with a national champion was just um, really rewarding after the year that everybody really had been through. Tom? Yeah, I would echo everything Nina says there, Andy. And, and you know, you, you, you think about where we were a year ago. Uh, we were hardly playing any college football just yet. Some, some conferences had planned to play in October and pick things up. A lot of us didn't know about basketball at all. We, we had the delay in the start of the season. We had to figure out uh, testing protocols. And then we had to fight through what was left of a regular season. And all along, the committees and really the staff, as Nina mentioned, that this, they were working behind the scenes on everything, putting that together. And it was a monumental lift. It really was to pull off what happened in Indianapolis and San Antonio. And then the conferences uh, and the individual schools had to kind of link up to that coming out of their own conference play and conference tournaments. And I, I, I'm not prone to hyperbole, but to get those two tournaments played, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be so strong in my language, but I, I, I am thinking that we might have saved this enterprise uh, to play those tournaments the way we did after having to cancel in 2020. Uh, it's just a remarkable lift, and uh, we got a lot to do here, but we got great staff in place who pulled off, you know, maybe something short of a miracle, but close to it last year, and, and we're in really good hands uh, going forward with all of this change and the gender equity planning going forward, so I, I'm really excited about the future. Uh, the 29-day experience uh, was unique, uh, interesting, but uh, like Nina, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> And look, I appreciate that because I wanted to establish that um, this does not dismiss the issues. And obviously we're making great changes here that needed to be made, but you cannot dismiss 
the Herculean efforts that had to go through to pull both championships off just as a baseline based on where we were a year ago as we're taping right now. Uh, really amazing. Uh, Felicia, now let's go forward. Um, the review and the implementation process of the changes that need to be made overall in gender equity, how is that being done? Well, once the report was released for phase one, um, what you would find is that those recommendations were in two categories. It was the authority of the NCA governance committees or it was the authority and responsibility of the NCAA staff. And so one of the first things that was really important is making sure that um, we were following our processes within the governance committee, but also leaning in um, to see how we needed to approach this very differently. And so everybody has their marching orders. We have those categories and then internally we have a steering committee. I get the pleasure of serving on that steering committee. It's our opportunity and our chance to make sure with every recommendation, we're making positive action, that we're moving forward, that we're engaging our committees, um, that we're getting our stakeholders involved. So even in the areas where it's an NCAA a responsibility or a staffer, like our CFO or our senior vice president of basketball, we are still hearing other recommendations. We're refining those opportunities as we go along. So it's been really, really important um, to highlight the work of our membership and our committees and how they've leaned into trying to help us with this implementation. And so there's a number of um, opportunities we have too looking at those recommendations and determining are we advancing as is or is there an adjustment that needs to be made we've already shared some of those examples early on um, but it's been a tremendous opportunity for our membership and for um, our student athletes to see us make um, equitable change positive change going forward all right so now you're going to put on your ad and your commissioner hats here uh nina then tom um what do you want to see uh, in terms of changes and, and especially in terms of communication and transparency as this process unfolds? Well, that's exactly it, Andy, communication and transparency. And, and we've already started down that road. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, um, the, the men's and women's basketball and men's and women's basketball oversight committees are meeting jointly on a regular basis. It's not just to say, okay, let's check the box. We've met together. Um, regular um, collaboration um, and communication between the two groups. And I think from what I understand, and Felicia can touch on this more, but the staffs as well um, in the NCA office are doing the same thing. I mean, we all need to be on the same page as we do this work to carry out the championships. Um, I mean, obviously what I would like to see for on the, on the women's basketball side is the most equitable, high level elite championship possible for these female student athletes that, have, that work so hard um, during the year to, to get to such a special place, to be playing in the tournament and play for a national championship. So we've got our work cut out for us, but it's not impossible um, and we, we will get there and we'll get there immediately. I mean, we don't have time to wait to make a lot of these changes. Um, it, you know, it, it's just little things um, that make a huge difference to these female student athletes. And I'm really excited to be a part of the change. Tom? Well, as stated, you know, we're not meeting jointly just a couple of times, two or three times. We're going to meet through the academic year ahead. Well, well before the tournament, monthly at least, I think, uh, Nina and myself and our vice chairs will be meeting uh, on a regular basis as well on some side calls. So we're gonna spend a lot of time 
on all of these issues. And, uh, you know, there's so many great outcomes that could come out of this. And I, what I want to be able to do, you know, uh, Nina mentioned our day jobs. I want to be able to go back to my membership and tell our women's coaches, our women's administrators, everyone, our school presidents, that we're going to land in a great place uh, for all championships. And that the women's basketball tournament is just going to be the elite event we all want it to be. And that's going to benefit everyone uh, in Division One, certainly. But Felicia, what about, I know we're leaning basketball here, but, um, you know, I've been to the men's and women's tennis championship and that's one event. So everyone's being treated equal in that event. As I mentioned, soccer has done that with the college cup. Not every sport does it. There's not every sport has an equal um, and different seasons, women's volleyball, men's volleyball. Uh, so it, it's not always the same time. You can't do it like that, but how many other sports, you don't have to rattle them off right now, but just, I mean, how, how much else is being looked at about, how each championship is being treated and whether or not they're being done in an equitable manner. Well, actually um, we're talking about phase one right now, but what we're expecting is a report for phase two. So Kaplan, Heckler and Fink um, are actually starting, have already started and we should get a release of that report by the end of October, addressing exactly what you just highlighted. Um, what we will find in this report is the opportunity to take a look at all other sports and their championships. Um, it is that opportunity that we have to make certain that whatever lessons we've learned from phase one and what we will be accomplishing with men's and women's basketball championships, that other sports can actually benefit from this exercise. And so every other sport championship, um, the firm is actually collecting data, having interviews, we've got some survey responses. And by the end of October, our membership will see what we've collected from phase two and how we wanna move forward. And so this is a really exciting time for us to continue the momentum that's already been started. Uh, Tom, at the Southland Conference level, uh, what have you seen in terms of equity at other championships? You know, I've, uh, you know, you get a chance to go to the other championships. Obviously we're very involved in hosting the FCS football championship, you know, apples and oranges there perhaps. But, you know, when you see really coming out of a conference championship set up, where our basketball tournaments are played jointly, our men's and women. So we've had a long practice of, like you've mentioned, a, a national men's and women's tennis championship, the, the same kind of experience. We've been able to do that. And that's what I kind of look forward to is that we're gonna see a, a lot more of that come out of the phase two uh, part of this review and, and hopefully get to a point, even if championships are separate, that they're going to have the same equitable experience going forward. So that's, I'm, I'm anxious to see the, the phase two uh, results as well. And we want to be able to tell our, you know, our baseball, our softball, our volleyball programs that, hey, great things are coming and you're going to be treated like kings and queens and, and it's going to be a fantastic experience. How about it, Duke? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's given us a chance, all of us on our campuses to kind of do a deep dive and say, are we doing things the right way on campus? Are we treating our sports at Duke 27 sports equitably? Are these student athletes all having a really great experience? And so, um, you know, we haven't made any specific changes, but I mean, it's top of radar now for a lot of folks, which it should be. And, and so I'm excited about uh, uh, moving forward here. One last thing. Uh, that you mentioned about everyone working together. And I'm just curious on this, Tom and Nina, uh, in terms of um, this next cycle, you know, from 27 and beyond, uh, sort of chicken and egg, how much will the committees work together to look at potential sites 
uh, in terms of receiving bids versus deciding first whether or not they will be in one site and then looking at uh, where there potentially could be new sites? Well, I'd offer, Andy, I think everything's on the table. I think we certainly, we need to take in all the information we can get. And certainly that's, you know, what what is the pool of the interested men's final four sites? Which ones are interested maybe in just the women's final four? And then who in that group might be not only interested, but capable, obviously, of hosting those championships. So I, I'm kind of interested and, and anxious to open the envelopes and kind of see who the uh, nominees are, so to speak. And uh, really start putting some things together. And that's going to really pick up the pace here over the next few months. And as we get into that next cycle and making those decisions uh, over the next year. Nina? Yep. We've formed subcommittees and uh, groups are working together to, to start doing some of these deep dive explorations. So like Tom said, everything's on the table. Nothing's predetermined. We're not going into this with the decision that we want to arrive at uh, by any means. So really just looking forward to seeing seeing what we come up with. Felicia, I'm going to give you the last word here about where we are right now uh, in this process and where you hope we're going to be maybe a year from now. Oh, my gosh, where we are in the process from the recommendations, there are going to be substantial improvements for the student athlete experience. There's already been attention given to gifts, mementos, the experience will be the same for men's and women's basketball championships. Um, there's going to be visual enhancements that are going to be made and already in process. We've talked about signage and branding. Um, by the time of this broadcast, there'll be some exciting information out there about the March Madness logo. Um, you've already heard our membership and our chairs talk about um, the commitment that men's and women's basketball committees um, have made to, to agreeing to explore whether a same site location is exactly what our student athletes or women student athletes need. Um, we've got marketing and CCP engagements that are underway, um, looking at how we can maximize that impact. We've got a women's basketball championship bracket. There's a subgroup taking a look to see if there's going to be 64 teams or 68 teams, and their recommendation is forthcoming. Um, you've heard the increased communication and collaboration that ha that's happening with our men's and women's basketball committees. You've seen two phenomenal examples just on this broadcast. We're already looking at staffing opportunities. How can we support our women's basketball championship better when it comes to security and our event venue? Um, there's a ton going on and I'm so excited um, to see what else comes from this. And for the record, you mentioned brackets. I will tell you that after year one, when I did the bracket with then President Obama, uh, when we just did a men's bracket in year one, the final seven years of his term, we did a men's and women's bracket. So it can right. be done at That's the highest level. <laughs> yes, we can be done at the highest level. We did it in seven straight years when I was there at the White House. All right. Hey, Tom, Nina, and Felicia, appreciate your time. A lot of changes, positive changes yes. happening here in the NCAA with March Madness overall. As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. Appreciate everyone. Thanks for watching.